Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We all create a story about ourselves. We come up with a concept of who we are. Then we build layers and layers and layers of that and a whole lot of neural pathways. And then that becomes our story. And then we start to live that life. And in living that life, we further confirm in our own brain that that's who we are. My story about myself was that I was a mortgage guy. What if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change? More reflection of the real world. Nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? Welcome to A Theory of Mind, a podcast about brains, minds, and the lived-in experience of change. I'm your host, author and biographer Ben McKelvey, and each week we interview someone about their brain and their life, and in most instances, those brains and lives will be atypical. This week, that brain and that life will be of Mark Burris, business icon, business mentor, boxer, farmer, author, and also the host of the Australian version of The Apprentice. Mark is a unique guy. Uh, He's been on the BRW Rich List multiple times. He holds two honorary doctorates, uh, and he's also been awarded the Order of Australia. Most interesting to this show, though, is that he has this sort of psychological atypicality that's likely helped him become very rich and very esteemed, the the man that he is. But it's also put him into some mental backroads that could lead to obsessive behaviour and even conspiracy theory. Uh, This is something that Mark and I get into, and it's, uh, it's something that I found particularly fascinating. This is a really fun chat. We talked for a while about Mark's family, especially his grandfather, and also about what bliss and happiness means to him. We also talk about why he continues to work after getting the platinum parachute. Uh, And we talk a little bit about the treatment that he's getting with a psychiatrist and what preempted that treatment. Anyway, I found this conversation really fascinating, so I hope you do too. Uh, So here is Mark Burris. There is a Mark Burris myth. There is a, you know, sort of origin story, the punch bowl boy who came good. Um, but you have, you've been exposed in a family way to wealth. You didn't have access to it, but it did exist with your grandfather. Can you tell me a little bit about your grandfather? Um, on my dad's side, yeah. Um, uh, I didn't know my grandfather on my mother's side, my, my mother's side because he died when I was very small. But, uh, uh, yeah, my, well, my grandfather came to Australia... In the 30s. So he, my father came to Australia in the late 40s mm. with his brothers, but my grandfather was already here. He'd already been... Him and his brothers left Greece trying to find somewhere better to go to during the Depression. And um, he went to Canada, got kicked out because he didn't have a passport. Those days, they didn't have passports. And he went to um, the USA. One, bro- one of his brothers was able to stay in Canada. And then another bro- he went with another brother into Chicago. That brother was able to stay in Chicago. And then my grandfather wasn't able to stay in either. And he ended up getting kicked out of Chicago as well, and then ended up in Australia. And uh, um, he brought his eldest son, Nick, over to Australia. Um, um, and uh, there's a, Uncle Nick was significantly older than all the other boys, mm. his brothers. And um, um, they started off a sandwich, sandwich shop, and then they started up, a, and then they had a, a, a restaurant. 
we'll start off as a cafe, then a restaurant, and then uh, the leasing the premises is in George Street, and then um, he bought a house for himself in Maroubra, and he bought his older son a house, which is the tradition. Um, all the other boys are still in Greece. Um, well, actually, they weren't even born. He used to go back to Greece every couple of years, and uh, my grandmother would get uh, pregnant. And then the, she just kept popping kids out left, right, and centre. They lived in the bush in Greece, and uh, or in the countryside in Greece, and uh, she lived there on her own with all these five sons. And uh, but yeah, they always had their neighbours in the village. Yeah. village. Um, but you know, it was affected by World War Two significantly. Then it was affected by the Civil War significantly in Greece. Um, but he was here in Australia building up assets, and um, he started off. Bought the first floor, the second floor, you know, buying the whole building in George Street. What building was it? it still exists. I, I, uh, the building, it, do, it does exist still. Yeah, um, it's um, down the bottom of George Street, um, more down Haymarket area where Haymarket is today. Yep. And um, today it's, I think, I don't know, some Asian sort of restaurant in, in downstairs, and the whole series of things upstairs. But the Chinatown then was a lot smaller, hmm. um, and there used to be picture theatres across the road from it down there in those days, um, and. Um, they used to, you know, everybody who used to go to the restaurant became quite a good restaurant. It's called the Jubilee Cafe, and uh, it was you know, a well-known restaurant. But in those days, people used to go to restaurants after the movie, so you'd go there and have supper, and uh, you know, you wear a collar and tie, and it was you know, quite swanky. And um, he had that, and um, a couple of other sandwich shops, and uh, but he owned the building and owned two houses, and uh, they owned real estate and valuable real estate at that, um, you know. Probably the start-off wasn't that valuable in those days, but by the time um, I was born and my dad um, was a, you know, married with his mum and living out the West Suburbs, um, he had plenty of money. Yeah. He was a wealthy guy. Did you know him well? Um, uh, sort of. Like, uh, I knew my grandmother better because she survived his death um, and I lived with her for a while, um, just her. Um, yeah, I, I knew him as a... I was more a... a just a young young man, like I was probably 12, 13 when he passed away. So I, I knew him as a, a teenager for a while, but he was a diabetic, a, a severe diabetic. And um, he's a, he was a big man, like a really big, tall, big guy, yeah. blonde hair, blue eyes. But like to me, he was a giant. Um, but, you know, in that generation to be six foot two, blonde hair and blue eyes, you weren't really Greek. Um, and uh, But he was born in Greece, but like the general view is that their family, his side of the family, probably emigrated down from Bulgaria at some yeah. stage or, or around that territory. The Balkans, you know, come in. And um, and, I, and I remember, well, my memory of him was he used to sit in he, a chair that he had in Maroubra and because he was a diabetic, he had bad. He couldn't walk properly, and um, you know he had a, operations on his legs. And he used to have a, a, a cane, a, like a, a walking stick, which is a cane. And uh, he had no English. My grandmother didn't speak English either. But um, he would sit there, and uh, he'd wait for me to come within range, especially when I was younger than that. Um, and he'd hook my leg, and he'd say "Hello, do Marco, hello, do Marco," which means "Come here, Mark." And uh, uh, and I was scared of him because he'd hooked me with this guy and he pulled me into him and he'd, he was like a bear. He was yeah. so big and uh, he's, I felt like, like I couldn't escape. Um, that's, I'd never had a conversation with him, uh, to be honest with you. Um, he was very... Uh, did, did you speak Greek? I, I knew I could speak enough Greek to... 
but not to have. I was too young yeah, yeah. to have a conversation with him, yeah. um, whether it was English or Greek. Um, I understood a fair bit of Greek at that stage. I got better as I got older. Um, but he he uh, he was very quiet and uh, old school Greek. Like he was the boss of the family. But he he built this you know sort of mini business empire without any English. How did he do that? His son Nick spoke English. Right. So Nick came to Australia when he was very young, got educated here. Nick was in the army here, uh, so he was conscripted. So Nick spoke, Uncle Nick spoke good English. And then he brought all the other boys over. Yeah. And um, But also, you know, like those days they had, a, there was a big community of Greeks here. So you know, like he bought his vegetables from a Greek guy. He bought his meat from a Greek guy. He bought his yeah. bread from a Greek guy. Bought his coffee from a Greek guy. Um all his people from the same village lived around the corner from him. Like uh, there was a big – I just remember there was a big community of people he knew, Greeks, and they, they all had kids who, all, who were Uncle Nick's age and they all got educated here and they all spoke English. Yeah. So that's how he got by. His, his kids spoke. But he was in charge. He, he, oh, was, he was the, he, he was the yeah. patriarch of the family, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, like – and old school traditional too, like, uh, you know – Unless you work in the family business, you don't get anything. Yeah. Um, unless and you marry a Greek, you don't get anything. Well, that was the situation with your family. Yeah, yes. that's what happened with my dad. So my dad married mum and she wasn't Greek, obviously. Not obviously, but she wasn't Greek. And um, well, that mum met dad in that restaurant, his father's restaurant. Um, my mum was a waitress there, so that's yeah, how they met. Um, and But he just couldn't, couldn't contemplate um, one uh, wanting to leave the business and go, work in a factory somewhere else. He just couldn't contemplate that. Yeah. And nor why aren't you marrying a Greek woman? Like, what's wrong with you? So much so that they didn't go to dad's wedding. So uh, mum and dad's wedding. His father and mother did not turn up to the wedding. The eldest brother didn't go. And, in fact, the eldest brother told my father, um, I'm not going to wedding because you're marrying, not marrying a Greek girl. But all these other younger brothers, they all went. They snuck, the, snuck yeah. into the wedding. They all went to the wedding. Well, dad's the second youngest. So, but the rest, they all came to the wedding. Um, unannounced, sort of thing. Now, now, the story of your grandfather, this story of, you know, uh, him being a, a rural Greek guy who comes to Australia and, and builds this, you know, this kind of, in the context, incredible empire from nothing. Um, was that something that loomed large in your head when you were a boy, that you were like, you know... Nah. That did the money think anything? Nah. Did that mean anything to you? No, I, I, no, the only thing it meant to me, the only thing I remember from that, to be honest with you, is that uh, my father didn't get any of it when he passed away. Yeah, right. And that's only because I heard the conversation. I mean, I just thought it was unfair. Yeah. I just remember thinking fleetingly it was unfair. Um, but I do remember the conversation that Dad never got any of that. He didn't get left in any will because he didn't marry a Greek girl and he didn't stay in the business. In some respects, it's sort of fair enough. He, yeah. sh- he sh- Maybe he doesn't, didn't deserve to get anything from the sale of the family business and buildings and stuff because he didn't contribute to it. Um, How did he feel about it? Oh, I never really spoke to my dad about it, but my dad's really easy, so easygoing yeah. and uh, he just rolled with it. Like, uh, yeah, he may have had some, he might have been, I don't think he would ever be bitter. Um, but you still have a great relationship with him. You were talking about uh, being with him in the farm dad, recently. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm always with dad. Dad, dad. dad and yet it's not something that he thinks... It's, well, it's, not, it's not something he would have been bitter about. No, yeah. he's not that type of person. He doesn't have an ounce of bitterness in him about yeah. anything or regrets. Um uh, he would have probably thought, well, I wish it, he might have wished it hadn't been that way, but it is what it is. But it is what it is. I mean, and he was happy with his own decisions. He's very independent, um, like extraordinarily independent. When my dad was a kid, he's told me stories that, um, that he had an auntie 
It's his dad's sister, um, and he, when dad was living in Greece, um, they lived on a farm. So they had a house in the village, and then the farm was outside the village. So um, my dad was would take his younger brother uh, Arthur um, Thanasis. Um, he would take him when he did. Dad didn't like this particular particular auntie. But when she came to stay, she wouldn't stay for a day. She'd stay for a, a month or something like that because she had to come from Athens to the village and because um, she lived in Athens. And um, Dad used to, to just take off. He'd go to the farm. He'd live on the farm, not not a house. There was just like a makeshift thing. He'd a like, lean-to. He'd make a lean-to, yeah, with his younger brother. And then, like he was like 12 or 13. Mm. He lived there for one or two months on his own, catch pigeons, chooks, you know, eat vegetables, cook for his brother, younger brother. He'd just stay there the whole time. Like an 11-year-old kid, 12-year-old yeah. kid, off to, out, out, out effectively in the bush. Um, it's pretty incredible. Like, uh, And Dad's still the same today. Like, he lives at home. Mum passed away a couple of years ago. So Dad's at home by himself. He's independent, can do everything in the house. There's nothing he can't do. Like, he yeah. can make anything, big building, fix anything. All self-taught. Still can climb up in the roof of the building, fixing. Still can paint the whole house. Still cleans the whole house. Still cooks for himself. Does his washing. How old is he? Eighty-six. He's like amazing. A, he just does everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. He, he can walk anywhere. He can, you know, still do push-ups. He's as strong as a bull. His hands, his grip strength is, is that ridiculous. Olive oil. That olive oil is good for you, man. Yeah. Well, he doesn't. He does led a pretty clean life. Uh, he doesn't drink, and you know, he's he does he'll have a drink, but he's yeah. not a drinker, sort of thing. Um, he's that pretty clear off, but I think he's got his genetics from his mum. Yeah. His mum lived till she was in the in her mid eighties too. So, and for her generation, that's a long time. So, and he lived a very uh, clean, simple life in Greece as a boy. You know, never had ice cream, didn't eat red meat because there was no red meat there. Um, you know, ate meat maybe once or twice a year. Yeah. Um, and his brain health is good. He's still brain perfect. He yeah. can think. He can do everything. I mean, he's slowing down a bit, obviously, yeah. but he's. He's in great shape. Um, you know, it's it's you know I look back at that sort of um, program, and even to this day, I mean, Dad lives in Mossman today. He's got a great house in Mossman, but you know because he uh, just went, he just kept buying houses and doing them up and selling them, and eventually landed in Mossman about twenty odd years ago. And um, but I look at how simple his life is, and he, he does it really simple. Like yeah. there's there's no bullshit, there's no complications. Uh, is that what the farm really is honest. for you? Totally. Yeah. The farm is 100% that. Because you've, you've got a farm up in northern New South Wales. Um, what are you, you've, got some, you've got some trees there. You've got oh, some cattle as well. Yeah, I've got cattle. It's a, it's a stud. It's a Brahmin stud. Yeah. But um, I, I have cattle. I have chooks. I have, you know, the, the vital stuff. The most important, I have olive trees. Yeah, um, I, and uh, I have... Do you um, press your own olive oil? Yeah, we do. We have olive oil and, and olives. Um, um, we have olive trees. We have, um, um, you know, the essential fruits like lemons and limes and... Uh, Vegetables and uh, yeah, you know, lots of some exotic stuff, Aussie type stuff as well, Aussie fruits and, and you know like kakadu plums and things like yeah. we grow. We try to grow those sorts of things. Uh, but that's your attempt at the simple life. That's your attempt. And so that is my simple life. Yeah. And uh, like if I go there, um, I work harder there physically than I do here um, because I can't wait to get out, out and get my hands dirty yeah. and cut things down and plant things and fix things and. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to do it. I'm, and I, I don't want to go... I, I couldn't go and just sit around. Um, I mean, I've got all these fancy things there, like tennis courts and stuff like that, but, like, I never use them. I've never played a game of tennis there, yeah, right. ever, in 20-odd years. Uh, it's mostly for did, other people. Did you buy a farm with a tennis court, or you were like, oh, I no, guess I this is one of the things that no, we I should have? It. I built a tennis court. No, I bu- there was nothing there when I went there. Um, there was just a 
little shed there on, on property. It was a dairy farm when I bought it. Yeah. And dairy dairies up there went all went broke because Norco, the milk company, moved out of town and uh, the dairy farms they know where to take their milk. So um, I bought it, you know, a long, long time ago, early 2000, and uh, you know, slowly but surely turned around, turned to a stud, you know, fixed things, built a house there, built other things. Mostly I built things there for my kids to use, but they don't use it that much either, to yeah. be honest with you. But, yeah, it's for me. It's uh, it's sort of re-establish myself, earthing myself. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's a pretty chilled sort of a joint. It's not, uh, but it's not a fancy house. I mean, I, just, I got a timber house. It's yeah. nothing fancy. I mean, fancy about it. It's it's nice. It sounds like it'd be less enjoyable for you if it was fancy. I, I mean, don't. I, I don't can want imagine you got a fancy house in Sydney. So uh, I don't want fancy. You know, I mean, I, in Sydney I have got a nice house on the water. So my my house is a really beautiful position, but it's again timber house. I love timber. Yeah. Um, uh, timber and glass are two of my favourite materials for building with. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not. Fan- I don't drive fancy cars. I mean, I have them, but I don't drive them. I never ever drive them. Yeah. I don't have fancy cars. They just sit in a garage. I never drive. I drive a Toyota Hilux most of the time. Workhorse. And, now, I, and, and or I, I have a, a, another car. With, I've got to deal with Lexus, so I drive, drive a Lexus. But I've, but generally speaking, I'm in my Hilux. Yeah. Main reason is because I can put my dog in the back. Yeah. And uh, I've got a section on the back of the on the tray and I put the dog in the back. And I, I can go everywhere, park anywhere with it. Doesn't matter if it gets scratched. Um, you could fucking never have to put petrol in it. It, just, <laughs> it goes for you know, it's diesel. But never, but anyway. I have one of those on the farm as well. You, uh, you like to drive a Hilux. You like timber houses, and you want just a rural property where you can work with your hands. It sounds like you're inconveniently rich. It's something well, it does. I don't. I don't think about. I, I'm not interested in. I, I'm. I was when I was younger. I was a bit more. Well, I wanted to actually go back to the to the drive at the beginning because nobody becomes successful in the way that you're successful accidentally. <clears throat> it just doesn't it doesn't happen. So there has to have been has to have been a plan, and at some point there must have been this catalyst, this drive. Uh, do you remember where that sort of started? Everyone says to me, "You must have been driven." And it's funny. I was thinking about it the other day. I thought, well, maybe I was driven, but I just didn't realise I was driven. Like to me, it's just normal. Yeah. So, but you're compulsive about everything, right? obsessive about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit compulsive, but more obsessed with things. So maybe what appears to be, or maybe what people would describe as, oh, Mark's really driven, um, to me is not really, not necessarily driven. So I don't sit around thinking, I've got to get to this point. Yeah. Um, I need to make this amount of money, or I need to buy that car or that house. I don't, that's not, that's, that to me is drive. Mm. My, or I've got to build a successful business. That's not how I think. Um, I think I'm doing something today and that's what I'm doing. No one's getting my fucking way. Yeah, right. So business ended up becoming the thing and because you have the obsession, then you're going to take it to the nth degree. You're going to do it as I just as keep doing it. I keep building can. and building and layer and on layer and layer yeah. and layer and layer. Like it a gets self-replicating to, robot. It just gets to where it is in the end. Yeah. That, that's, that's, if that's driven, then I am driven. It's not, to me, it's not, that's not drive. I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, great, I've got to get off to, no, it's not how I operate. I like, what's I'm, the best way I can do the thing? I'm thinking I've got today to do the following things. Yeah. And I, I know what it is before I you know, leave my house and um, and that's what's in front of me. Yeah. And people will try to crowd me and I was talking about this earlier, but, you know, I, I may, maintain my sp- space. I purposefully go about pushing for my space in order for me to do what I want to do, which is why I like fighting so much because fighting's about... Actually, fighting is about creating space or reducing the space. Mm. 
to achieve what you want to achieve. So you want to hit someone with a, I'm a left-hander, so I want to hit someone with a big left. I will poke out with my right hand first, my, my jab, to create the space and the distance, and then I'll land a left on them. You I, don't get me wrong, I'm not no expert at it, but like that's that's there's a like, science to it. It's, there's it's a science to it. It's it's about space. Yeah. Sometimes someone's clubbing me, I'm gonna close the space up. And so I'm gonna get in close. I mean I watched that um fight with Mark Hunt the other day, Gallon. And um when Gallon ever gave Mark space, Mark bashed him. Yeah. And as soon as Gallon worked out to close the space, yeah. the fight changed. Yeah. And that's and I and I, mean, I spoke to Mark about it, and he reckons Gallon's a totally a tough guy. Like yeah. he really is tough. Like I know I, I respect Gallon, but I know I also think Gallon is bloody smart because Gallon had the wherewithal, even though he got hit on the chin a few times, pretty hard by Mark Hunt of all people. Um, he had the wherewithal to think to himself, either that or his corner, think to I himself, get closer to this get, yeah, reduce the space. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I'm good mates with Jeff Fennick, and Jeff has been my trainer for years. And Jeff's always saying to me, always says to me, you won't get hurt as much when you're close. In close. Yeah. He said, if you want to stand your distance, you better make sure you're pretty fast and you're very accurate and you're super fit and you can move. Um, like you can move really good and really well. And that's you might that might be how you're training. But you know, as Tyson says, you know, great plan until you get punched in the nose. <laughs> and as soon as you get hit in the head, all your plans sort of disappear. You just, you know, you're operating on instinct. And um, so being used to being in close or reducing space is really important. So in business, there's the same thing. In what I do is the same thing. Everything in my life is about creating space. I get when I get up in the morning, I don't, but I get up at night. I don't look at my phone. Yeah. To know, I'm not thinking about what I got to do tomorrow morning. I don't look at my diary on purpose. I don't know what I'm doing on Monday or Tuesday next week. I get a message from my office that I look at first thing in the morning when I wake up. Just to see, okay, what I've got to take to work for clothes, to, you know, appropriately dressed. Yep. Um, and how, how's my morning going to get mapped out? Like, I'm going to go to the gym, then I've got, have I got time to go to which place for breakfast? Um, do I have a space to have a break for myself before all that happens? Um, then what? what what's, how's my day going to roll by? So I create space from the night to the morning. Mm -hmm. And that space is for sleeping. The, the, I do that on purpose. Like it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a cleanse. It's almost like a purge. Some people say it's structuring. Um, I don't structure. I just, I, I would like to take that out of the uh, narrative and say I create spaces yeah. so that I can actually do the thing that I'm supposed to do during that period yeah. so that I can do the next thing I'm supposed to do. It's interesting when you were talking about boxing and, you know, counterintuitively actually getting closer to the, to the hardest punches. Because everyone thinks you've got to stay away. No. And that feels like instinctively yeah, that's totally. the thing that you'd want to do. But it's actually the same with, um, with infantrymen in combat. You know, once a gunfight starts, you actually want to, you want to shorten the distance, especially when you've shot at someone, um, which your body would be telling you not to yeah. do, but your training has to overcome that. And, like, if he's fearful of moving backwards and you're moving forward, it's much more likely that you're going to catch this place. Well, it's but like fight or flight. Which is the stronger instinct on you? Um, because, you know, like, sometimes it's better just to cut and run. Yeah. Get the fuck out of there. Um, and sometimes in the boxing, you know, if you get clubbed a bit, you tend to, you want to go, you know, you want to get out of there. Yeah. And, and if they've got the, if they're ascending over, like they're bigger or faster or they're just on a momentum, you can walk back as fast as you want, but they're, they're walking forwards. Yeah, yeah. And you can't, you can only go so far. There's a rope there. 
Well, it's also about the leverage. If you're moving backwards, then your punches aren't going to be as aren't going to be as strong as. And it's the hard to punch moving it's forward. Very hard to punch going backwards. Yeah. Muhammad Ali can do it. Not many people can do it. Yeah. Um, you can play around with it, but just you're not going to do it. And in business, it's the same thing. You're going yeah. backwards. You can't punch. Yeah. Stop. Just stop. And space and business space in my life. It's not just about any, it's not just about business for me. It's about space in my life. Yeah. So I create spaces. I used to talk about. Com- com- compartmentalizing things so i have a shit day at work i get stressed out something's really bugging me or i can't solve something um two ways to deal with that um one is um to remember when you can't work out how to remember why i mean why you're doing something and that sort of redeems you a little bit and you can sort of um uh, sort of sit in the sunlight a little bit about why, you know, your, your righteousness. I mean, like, why am I doing this business? What is my purpose? You know, why am I helping people? Uh, I worry about how I'm going to solve this problem down the track, but why is the important thing? And we've and there are lots of people, you know, people who, who, who've written books about this who are, who are stuck in Nazi concentration camps used to think about their purpose in life, you know, mm. what's important to them, you know, God or whatever it is, that helped them get through how am I going to get out of here when you don't have a solution. Um and, and, and I think, you know, business people need to employ. That's one thing to employ. But there's another one I call compartmentalization. So get home. I come home. You mean, sorry, just to go back to what we're doing, like what we're doing with our lives, not necessarily what we're doing with our businesses. Is that uh, what just, you're talking just about? General, or, or business, either way. Yeah. They're, they're, they're interchangeable. Yeah. So it's almost like a mission statement. I'm home. Yeah. Well... I'm home because that's where I live. I mean, and we, you know, it's supposed to be our castle, et cetera, but like, I'm home. I'm, my family's there, my dog might be there, whatever. Yeah. I'm just home. The whiskey bottle's there. It doesn't matter who's there, who's your companion. It doesn't really matter. I say, okay, put all that shit in a box. Um, I'm talking symbolically. Yeah, of course. Close the box. Put the box in the shelf. That, you can open that box tomorrow morning. Yeah. But there's no point in opening, leaving it open now. Just close the box, put it over there, and do now what you're doing now. And do it with, you know, like as much zeal as you want or as much passion as you want, if they're the words you like to use, or just don't do it with anything, but just do it. Just yeah. just watch television. Uh, have a whiskey. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is, this is very similar to something that um, a young bloke told me on the podcast uh, last week, a guy called Matt Williams. Um, Matty, who, big tall Matty, the, was he a... Was he a, a soldier? Triathlon? No, I'm talking about a triathlon, okay. No, no, this bloke was a, a soldier who went to Afghanistan and then he was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour. And we were talking about, you know, <clears throat> the preciousness of his life and his hours and his days and how he maximises that. And he says, oh, I just make sure whoever I'm, whoever's in front of me, that's the person I'm talking to, that's the person I'm thinking about, that's the person who gets all of my attention in life. You know, the thing that I'm doing right now is the thing that I'm doing right mm. now and that's the most important thing. That's very Buddhist. Yeah. It's the present. And by the way, not worry about what happened, what's going to happen. It's very Buddhist. I mean, I did a lot of reading on Buddhism um, and, you know, I met the Dalai Lama and he allowed me to ask him some questions. What did you ask him? You've got to keep that stuff to yourself. <laughs> um, he allowed me three questions. But uh, but I, he doesn't like you to talk. Like, he yeah, wants you to enough. kill yourself. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, but I, 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 I've always been uh, um, acutely interested in um, that living in the present, mm. um, doing whatever it is I'm doing as I'm doing right now, whether I'm talking to you or whether I'm doing something else, which is why I like to, to be honest with you, is like why I like to do my speeches. But when I used to do them on, up on the stage, but, you know, I, used to, I could have 20 people, I could have 2,000. I, yeah, I yeah. did one with 8,000 people. Yeah. Um, because I get, I get quite nervous, and I'm a very sort of shy guy. I'm not very good at social environments, but when I, it's when I get up on the stage, I'm I get into the, into the well, I don't want to say the zone, but whatever. No, I, I get into the the character yeah. of what I'm doing right there, and then I get completely absorbed. I get so absorbed that you know if I'm going to speak for an hour, like I held a few a few ra- not rallies, a seminar type things, or I had I had five thousand people in Sydney at the Star Casino, and. Um, I was only supposed to speak for one hour. Everyone paid to come and listen to me. But I spoke for three and a half hours because yeah. I didn't even know the time had gone by. You got stuck in there. Yeah, and uh, and but I was enjoying it so much. Uh, it's a quite a. I find one of the for me is one of the great experiences. What I don't like though is when I get off the stage and you've got to start meeting everybody. Then then I get a bit awkward. Yeah. I start to feel, and I also feel drained. Yeah. After I feel quite exhausted because I give it everything. It's all energy, up on the stage. Um, I quite like it. Um, some people get scared of it. Um, I get nervous before I go up there. But um, once I'm there, I don't know what happens. It's, but I'm so absorbed in it. That's, that's, that's exactly the way that people, and I'm sure Jeff has, has spoken to you about that, that's how they feel about uh, the enjoyment of the fight. It's yeah. like, you know, just all this energy, all this kinetic energy, all this, you know, sort of frantic feeling, just, just it concentrates and concentrates and concentrates and then you're in there and there's nothing. You're in the ring, that's all there is. Yeah, you can't hear, you know, I've, I've done, you can't actually hear anything outside of the ring. Yeah. People can be yelling and you don't hear it. There was it, something I wanted to go back to. Um, I use the word compulsion, you use the word obsession. Um, it's it's something that, you know, we've only had dinner once but when you sit down with you, you you, you do get a sense that that's, that's a big part of your personality, this, this sort of obsession and you sort of... You know, I could imagine that you get stuck in these ruts. You know, there's things that you must learn about, you must master. Um, and if if you don't want me uh, talking about that, that's fine. We can cut this out. But but you you gave me a lift, and you were telling about you were telling me about um, this instance where you were looking at license plates, mm. and you were looking at the numbers, and you were thinking you couldn't stop thinking about there being a pattern, there being something that there was, there was actually meaning there. Um, ha- have there been instances in your life where you've had to, to sort of corral this obsession to realise yeah. that your brain isn't typical, um, you know, it's, it's productive in a, in a particularly high-functioning kind of way, but, you know, you, c- you could potentially get stuck in these sort of mental cul-de-sacs? Uh, that one in particular, yeah. I mean, I don't mind talking about it. Uh, um, I, I got a per- in a period there for about uh, maybe 10 years or so, for a 10-year period, where I became obsessed with um, number plate patterns mm. <laughs> and uh, trying to interpret what they were saying um, or what they could mean. And what, was there some sort of patternization in the way number plates are produced? Right. Um, by whoever produces them, the RTA or whoever it is. And were they secretly trying to um, send messages to people who were driving behind them right um and what did they mean um and uh I, it started i just <laughs> remember when it started uh one morning just driving to work and i saw a number plate i can't remember what it said now but it it, it made 
sense to me. Like I thought, oh, that, that, that means something. There was, you know, numbers and letters. And um, somehow I read something into it. Then I tried it. Then I, the next day I did it, and I did it again, different car. Then I started doing it with every car and it would become like a massive distraction for me. It mm. actually became quite difficult for me to drive and concentrate on driving because then I found myself not just looking at the car in front of me, the car coming towards me, the car across the road, the bus, everything, mm. everything. And uh, and I could see these number plates everywhere and I'd start thinking about them when I got out of the car and it would just wouldn't go away. I became obsessed. Did you tell anyone about this? Yeah, well, I went to a psychiatrist about it. Um, and um, and, uh, and I'm, I still have a thing for looking for patterns in things like I'm looking at a wall behind you now and I've been looking since I sat here about how it's designed uh, and I'm thinking what is the patternization of it like is there you know why have they set it up there is that space there that distance has that been calculated as equal to that space there and it's not equal to that space over there or is it because I'm sitting on an angle I can't see properly that's and it's bothering me a bit yeah a, a little bit not bothering me a lot but bothering me a little bit. so I had to learn how to manage that stuff um, so just 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 tell us, you know, whatever it is that you're that you're willing to sort of share, um, the the conversations that you have with the psychiatrist and what he thought it was all about. Uh, he said it's uh, people who do this are like, you know, on the spectrum of Aspergers. Yeah. It's a bit of an Aspergery type of thing, and some people who know me think that I am a yeah. bit that way. Um, he he was reticent to diagnose me. Because he said, if I say that about you, he said, you know, if I end up with a diagnosis, he said, you're going to believe that about yourself. Yeah. And he said, it could get worse. He said, so, and he says, nothing gained by saying it. He said, it just, so he just explained to me how people like me, yeah. some people like me, look for patterns all the time. Um, it's, it's probably why I can play the piano. Yeah. It's why I can read music. It's probably why I'm, I like love mathematics. Helped I, you with numbers, I, I love mathematics. Yeah. Like, not arithmetic, but mathematics. Um, you know, and equations and why things work and why a certain algorithm is better than, a, is more effective than another algorithm. So, you know, and it's part of my pastime. One of my pastimes is reading maths books and yeah. science books and physics books and articles about stuff like that. So I now feed that thing with stuff I read. And, uh, but I, I, I can manage it now. I, I didn't quite... I mean, it got a bit... Uh, a little bit weird and crazy for me, to be honest with you. But... Uh, were you, were you, was your primary concern, why am I thinking about this? You know, rather yeah. than it... No, I couldn't control it. What's wrong with me? I can't control it. I yeah. couldn't control it. And I, I didn't know, is this bad? Or I'm thinking, is this a sickness or... It's like, is this the beginning of something that's going to yeah, get worse? Yeah, totally. Am I, get, am I getting spoken to by the universe? Am I getting schizophrenia? Like, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Um... And but it only happened if I was in my car. Yeah, no place. So if I was walking the street, it didn't bother. I didn't didn't do it. Walking the just in my car. Maybe because there's no other sensory input. You know, you're literally just in there looking through the through the windscreen. You know, it's it was it's like being a movie that way. Me, to be honest with you, and it's not wasn't good to drive that way. Yeah, um, it's probably dangerous. Um, did you did you could you always manage to disassociate between? Um, the, the conscious feeling, the, the understanding that no one's saying anything to you, that, that, that it is random. Um, were there any times where you were actually like, fuck, maybe I'm right and everyone else is wrong? No, all the time. Really? Even after you'd spoken to a I literally had thought that there is a programmed messaging thing going on yeah. with number plate issuance. And then I started to start think, to think, think to myself, well, let's say I live in uh, Bondi, uh, the Bondi 
Wallara area, for example, are they issuing a certain number of plates for that area so that s some cameras around the place could be looking at these and know that these are cars that come from that area? Yeah. Like, it was just weird shit. Like, yeah, yeah. It, didn't, it was meaningless, but it was, I was, the conspiracy stuff was just out of control, um, my conspiracy theory. And what were, were they watching my number plate? Yeah. And, like, I... I, I, none of it's logical. It's no, all course. totally irrational. Yeah. Totally irrational. And it got more weird and more weird and more weird. Like I, today with data, like, you know, I'm a love data um, in, in, every, in every form. Um, wherever I can get it, I, I consume it. Like, you know, all the stuff I do, a mentor and everything, it's all about data. Um, and I love building businesses that are around data. I mean, mentor is a data business. I mean, it's not a – it is what it is, but to some people, but it's also – for me, it's a data business. Yeah. Um, I can easily get obsessed bad. On data. On a large data set. Oh, fuck. Have you read Moneyball? No, I haven't. I don't read books, to be honest with you. I yeah, right. I don't read other people's Just books. Just math books and physics Yeah, yeah, books I read things like that, yeah. I and don't, yet I, you I, have three of your own. Four now. Four now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't read... No, I, I don't read other people's books. I never have. Yeah. Um, I did at school, but like I had to, but uh, it's not something I choose to do. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll... You know, I'm reading um, uh, a book on... Um, uh, on time at the moment. So I'll read that sort of book, yeah. the concept of time. Yeah. Um, Mechanical books, books that just sort of explain a, fun, a, yeah, a, a, a function. Or something I think of, is important to me. Yeah. You know, where did time start? Yeah. What is time? What is the concept of time? Um, and how does time get, you know, we all know how time gets measured, but like why yeah. is it measured a certain way? How it can be second? warped. Yeah, and, and how does time operate, you know, in terms of space? Yeah. Um, so, and how can time change? Um, so, you know, it's, it's what time... 20,000 metres above us is a different time to the time directly below us. Yeah. But directly, directly below that point, it's, it's only minute, but it's different. So, uh, yeah, I, I, they're the sort of books I read. Um, but it's a, but I, I, I read them, to be honest with you, sometimes to distract myself from mm. my main life. Um, if something might be bothering me, that's when I tend to read those books. Can you, you know, you're, you're someone who wants everything to, to make sense, you know, and you, you, you're presented with all of the information. I try to make sense out of it. Yeah. I accept that everything doesn't make sense. Well, I was going to say, when things that are, that are completely out of control, you know, uh, traumas, a, a death, you know, a, a marriage dissolution or whatever it is, um, are you capable of um, incorporating that into a story, into the story of your life? Or, or does it get I, I don't get emotional about it. Really? Never. Um, even you know, like I, I get used to get worried about not being sad. Like when my mother died, I didn't cry. Yeah. But I, I, I feel the loss of my mother. Like she's a great friend, we're great mates, and everything like that. But I feel the loss. But I didn't cry, and I, everyone else was crying around me. My brothers, everybody. But I, I felt bad that I thought, well, hang on, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? Mm. But I didn't feel that. Um, I don't manage it. I, I, it's just, it's just it's how you are. It's how I am. Um, I don't feel. I only really have one strong emotion, it's anger, and I've had to learn how to control that. Um, when, does it, when does it manifest itself? Anger, it's, it's, the, it's the penultimate So for me. So, like, I'll get frustrated. But, but what angers you? What are the things that... that Stupidity, people don't understand me, someone can't follow what I'm talking about. Um, um, it's usually in relation to someone else. Yeah. It, it, and uh, it's, it starts at frustration. Or, or, or like, how can someone not get that? I, I, like, why don't they understand what I'm, yeah. I'm, I've done? Or you're like, I've, I've articulated this. It's here yeah. for you. How can yeah. you not pick it up? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll, I'll, and then if they want to talk to me and it's not, and the questions that, for example, aren't 
in, don't relate to what I've just said or have no sense to me, don't mean anything to me, yeah. I can get more frustrated. And, and then ultimately that ends up in anger. Um, I get angry. Yeah. Uh, I know how to control that now. But, uh, or when I was younger, um, if I was out and someone do something that was aggravate, I could get aggravated very easy. I'm a pretty happy sort of guy, but I could get aggravated very easy. Um, so that's that, that's my big emotion and yeah. one of the ones I had to learn how to control, you know, after making plenty of mistakes, but I had to learn how to control it. And, and that's one reason I don't drink much because I find my judgment around anger um, in relation to my anger um, it gets um, compromised yeah. or, or just goes yeah. <laughs> if I'm drinking. Well, if I'm drinking, I can be the best fun, but I can be the biggest nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. be either one or the other and, and it doesn't take much for me to... Tip over to one. I mean, I'll and so you've chosen the juice is, is not worth the squeeze. You know, it's not, not worth it. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's you know, I don't feel good about it myself. I mean, I feel guilty about should have done. And I think, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. Uh, what's the ramifications of that? Consequences. Um, but I also know that I can, you know, like I'm like I can be a daredevil. Like I'll, I'll do like complete illogical things hmm. um, if I've had a certain amount to drink. Um, like. You know, and I've injured myself. I climbed up on top of houses and fallen through roofs and fallen off balconies. You know, into that's that's a twenty-five-year-old's game. You don't want to be doing that anymore. Yeah, but just from drink, I wouldn't ordinarily would never do it. Yeah, you know, some say you would come and have a look at that, and I'd say you're joking. Yeah, get me a few drinks. I'm 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 suggesting it. You know, Um, we're running out of time, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to to ask you about, just because you have had. this unique situation in your life that, that sort of most people don't. Um, so you had a business with Kerry Packer, this was Wizard Home Loans. Um, you were, it was a 50-50 equity thing, right? Yep. Um, yeah, half each, yeah. Yeah, and yet uh, you put 25 million bucks in each um, and then... No, he, no, I put nothing in. He put 25 million in. Oh, right, because it was your business. It was my business, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, let's say it was worth 25 million, so I guess I did put 25 million when he put his 25 Your million. value at that point yeah, was, yeah, yeah. 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 So, you, you know, you had equity worth 25 million when he yeah. bought his 25 million in. Um, and then the business boomed and, you know, it, it sold for, for half a billion bucks. So you had the opportunity to sort of do whatever you wanted to do. But what you wanted to do is, you, is to build another business, to keep mm. doing the thing that you were doing. Um, where, where is that compulsion? Is, is it because there wasn't anything else where you were like, this is the thing that if I, if I get the opportunity to check out, I'll check out and just do that? Um, or is it because that's how you defined yourself? You defined yourself as somebody who ran these businesses and did these things well. You know, why at that point make the decision just to keep going? Um, there's a book called Neurocomic. Um, it's written by a neuroscientist and a, illustrated by a illustrator. It's a very clever book, mm. and uh, I recommend people read it. Um, but we'll we'll look at it because it's illustrated. But uh, they talk about something that we do, that we we all create a story about ourselves. Um, so our brain, plasticity of our brain works in such a way that <clears throat> we come up with a concept of who we are, then we build layers and layers and layers of that and a whole lot of neural pathways, and then that becomes our story, and then we start to live that life. And in living that life, we further confirm in our own brain that that's who we are. Yeah, That's why criminals become career criminals they be, they build a story that I'm a criminal and I mean the, the, that's why the, I don't like jails because if a jail doesn't all it does it's, it's never going to rehabilitate them yeah. rarely 
um, because they come out believing they're a criminal. Yeah. They might be scared to do the thing they used to do, but they still think they're a criminal and they still think like a criminal and want to become a criminal. Or antisocial is a very better way to put it. A- anti against what the majority want to do. Um, from, so to answer your question, um, uh, when I had sold the wizard business and, um, and I kept on a GE who owned it for a while there until the GFC hit, um, my story about myself was that I was a mortgage guy. Yeah. And that's what I did. And... Uh, even though it was the middle of GFC, I mean, I set up a new mortgage business, which is you know, not, a cra- not a smart thing to do during the GFC, but I did. And um, because I believe that about myself. And that, and it's sort of like that. And my brain was geared and set around mortgages. I had to then, people talk about pivoting. I had to sort of, pivoting your brain is about actually using the plasticity in your brain to actually create another story about yourself. Hmm. So... I sat down and I thought, well, what else can I do? And I created this business called Mentor. The Mentor. Mentored. Ment- the Mentor, the podcast has started off that way and it's now has become mentor.com.au. And what I be- effectively become was a publisher. Hmm. So um, I, I, what I was, the reason, one of the reasons, like one of the main reasons I did this was to see whether I could actually stay as a mor- the mortgage guy and train my brain to be something else. Um, it was a bit of a social experiment for me, um, and uh, which and it's not a thing that required money to do. It was wasn't a money thing. Was it because there was a bit of a disappointment in you that after you had had this big check out and you'd had this huge success that you're like, oh, I'm still a mortgage guy, <laughs> like nothing no, changed. Well, I, no, well, no, I got motivated because was, um, I won't say who it was, but someone said to me that um, after the sale of the Wizard business from GE to one of my competitors, because G bailed out of all their financial assets here, yeah. or most of them, particularly mortgages, someone said to me that um, I will never ever be able to do the wizard thing again. It was a dare. I took it as a dare. Yeah, right. And I and my, that's a fuck you moment. Yeah. So he was it, suggesting that luck was involved, or the the circumstances. Well, yeah, the circumstances are such that you'll never be able to do that yeah. again. And that's a dare to me. Yeah. And I sat down and thought about it. Wasn't it wasn't James Packer, was it? No, it wasn't. But I sat down and thought about it, and I thought, uh, well, no, it wasn't because he actually invested in the other big road. So yeah, right. I, I, I sat down and thought about it, and I, and I went through it logically, even though it was in the middle of GFC. I thought, no, there is a way to do it. You can, I don't do it the same way. The, the, the process is different, but you can have the same outcome yeah. over time, which is what I did. So I created Yellow Brick Road, and it was literally I created Yellow Brick Road the day after. Yeah. I set it up the day after. The day after. Um, and, and, and it's a bit of an example of what I said about I'll do things for a dare. Uh, it's like I dare you. It's a challenge. Yeah. Um, you can't do something. You're like, I think I can. Well, fuck off. I can because yeah. I know how to do it. Yeah. And I'll, but i just got to sit and think about it, think it through. I know it's not a silly dare when I thought it through. That's why I started Yellow Bird. That's 100% the only reason I started it. Mm. Then when I'm into it, that's it. I'm just into. It. I'm. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And then I got to a point where I thought, hang on, can I change who I think I am? Can I start doing something else? Become a publisher, um, and a publisher who collects data, which is what Mentor is all about. Um, I'm going to let you go because I know you're on a tight schedule. But before you go, I just wanted to uh, ask you about your bliss. You know, wh- what are the what are the moments in your life where you're like? Oh, this is what it's all about. You know, this is this is what I do it for. This is you know, this is this is what living is. Uh, oh, I, I don't really experience 
be honest, in bliss, those emotions. So it's just not something – I'm pretty much – my brother's funny. My brother turned 60 the other day and I went to his birth and had to make a speech. And um, my brother's um, not the same as me. So and in my speech I said my brother is someone enjoys everything to the ultimate. If he's having a beer, he's sitting there and tasting it, loving it and like talking about it and expressing about it and, and saying this is the best beer or whatever. Or if he's in work – He's like intense. He's like extraordinarily intense. But yeah. he will be total, totally on that, t- totally intense. He's a little bit like me, but not like that because cause he, he lives in a broader spectrum, like from one to the other. Um, so he can be a real cranky bastard, like super cranky at work and super, super serious. But then when he's outside work, literally, and he's having a drink, he's totally the opposite. Mm. He's the life of the party. I'm never that. I'm sitting right in the middle. So I don't... I, I, I don't want this to sound so but I've never really experienced so-called bliss, but mm. I would what most people consider bliss. I'm pretty even-tempered in right in the middle, other than anger, but I am right sit right in the middle. And even with anger now, I can control it. But I don't know whether I'm doing this because I try to control myself. I don't know. I, I'm too scared. Well, I'm too scared to be one or the other. I don't know. But I Maybe s- it's your worry. You know? So bliss um, is not a word that I have in my my vocab for personally, personally for me. So, but what are the things that I enjoy? Okay. In that realm, it's going to sound a little bit silly, but I mean, I would love to sit somewhere and close my eyes and feel a warm breeze on my face. Um, that to me is important. Um, I like in the middle of the winter to leave my door open in my bedroom, and any fuckers out there think they're going to break in, I've got a big German shepherd <laughs> in the bedroom. But I love to feel the cold breeze on myself and put the doona up and warm up, but just still feel, feel the cold breeze on my face. Yeah. Um, I love to see the, the smile on some people's faces. There are some people whose smiles... Authentic. ...is authentic but just gets me. Yeah. And that smile is really important to me. Yeah, really important to me. Um, I like to... Um, Walk with my dad. I, I just love walking with him. No, no, not talking, just walking. There's something about it's just walking with my old man. There's a rhythm in the walk. It's uh, there's something about the connection with just me and him walking. And we only started doing it when since mum passed away because I just went there to keep him company because he was on his own. And then started walking. And next, now I I think it's it's one of the best things that I can do. Um, I, I was supposed to do a radio interview last weekend, the weekend before. With Chris Smith on 2GB. And Chris is a good bloke. I like him a lot. And I was supposed to do the interview at 9 o'clock. I forgot the fucking interview. And then uh, then his team rang me and said, oh, can you do it at 11? I said, yeah, no problem. I went to my dad's house and because um, I go to my dad's every Saturday. I went there on <laughs> Saturday and uh, my and um, my dad said to me when I got there at about 10, he said, oh, I was listening to 2GB. He said, you're going to do an interview today, are you? And I said, yeah, I am, yeah. He didn't know what time. And, um, and then three of my sons arrived at my dad's house with my grandson. So I got excited about that mm. and I forgot to do the interview at Christmas at 11 <laughs> as I was leaving my dad said what time is your interview at Christmas I said fuck it's 20, <laughs> past seven, 20 minutes late but eventually I did it at 12 o'clock with him but and Chris is great but he understood yeah. it and uh, I, I actually explained I said dad's and what happened and I yeah, told yeah. him the whole story so he was cool but um, so they're the things that they're moments of bliss for me um, uh, you know like I love going to the fights it, it sounds ridiculous but I like seeing oh, the energy's great it's the best. Yeah. I just love walking in there and they give you an armband yeah. or some of that or you get stamped. Or you oh, it's a human zoo as well, all it's the different the, types all of people, the all the there, expectations. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. g'day, so-and-so. And then over you got the, you know, you got a, a minister over here, you got the leader of the opposition, Albanese yeah. go, go in the fights, you always sitting there. And then you might see uh, 
you know, uh, the a couple terrorists. of gangsters yeah. <laughs> sitting there, you know, and uh, yeah, it's cool. It's uh, th- that sort of gets it gets my blood going. Like I get quite excited about it. Yeah. Um, as you, as I said earlier, I love to perform uh, on the stage. Even like I love boxing. Like I, I love it when I have a fight coming up. Like I really enjoy. I like the physical stuff, but I just enjoy. I don't know walking in the ring and um, you know touching gloves and listening to the referee and. Trying to work my way through it all, and they but I don't. Um, Mate, it does sound like you have some blisses in your life. Maybe they are bliss, but I. And you, your face lights up when you talk about yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, my face does light up because they're, they're things that I enjoy, but they're simple things for me. You know, that's um, yeah. I'm not someone who wants to go and um, jump out of an aeroplane or anything like that. That's to me, that's what something would be doing is chasing like something blissful, yeah. or um, or you know, sitting on the super. No, that's more people running away from something, I reckon. Probably right. Yeah. But I'm not a super yacht guy, you know. I'm. I, I actually love my farm. Like it's, to me, it's one of the best things in my life. I'm lucky. Um, it's it's a dream for me, and uh, the farm is one of the best things I can do. All right, mate. We're gonna have to wrap up because you have to go. But thank you so much. You're a fascinating bloke. Thanks, champion. Cheers, mate. That was Mark Burris. If you want to hear more from Mark, you can listen to him regularly on his podcast, The Mentor, with Mark Burris, where he talks to some of Australia's most notable business leaders. Uh, Or you could check out one of his books and might I suggest his latest book, Rise, How You Can Succeed in Business, in Your Career and in Your Life. Now, while you're buying books, uh, I would like to suggest a book I wrote with next week's guest. The book is Born to Fight and the guest is another Mark, Mark Hunt. Now, Mark is a very good friend. He's also a legendary UFC, Pride and K1 fighter and someone who has overcome one of the most horrific childhoods I've ever heard of. I've gone through a real journey with Mark in my life, working on his book, and uh, the journey continues for him, and that's something that we talk about in the the podcast. I love Mark. He's someone I respect a great deal, so I hope you download next week's episode. Anyway, this episode was recorded at ACAR Studios in Sydney, and if you want to keep up with me and the show... Go to my Instagram at Benny Mook, B-E-N-N-Y-M-C-K, or on Facebook, Ben McKelvey Writer, and otherwise, follow your bliss. What if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change? More reflection of the real world. Nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.